Today we are indeed grateful, Lord, to you, and we thank you for allowing us to gather in this place. And we know that many, while many may be sick, there are people here, and we are grateful to you for allowing us to gather in this place. We pray for those that are traveling in for the various funerals, those that will be attending, that they will hear a word. For those that will be leaving, as we think of Sapphire, as we think of Liz, that will be be gone the rest of this month, as we pray for those who travel constantly, that you will keep your hand of protection around them. And for this congregation, we pray for, we know that you are doing a work, we know that the enemy hates what God does, but we thank you that you have given us victory over the enemy. Even when difficulties come, it allows us and it helps us to grow in Christ. So may we know that problems and difficulties helps us to trust you more and more. For there's nothing that you cannot solve. We give your name the glory. Now give us ears to hear. We thank you for the various people and the various ministries that they perform for this body. We thank you right now that this really is a body ministry. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a, um, as you know, we, we last week we hugged in Mr. Gladys Porter, who had, had, has accepted the Lord as of last week, and, and today we made it, well, yesterday official, I, after the service, me and Elaine sat down, and I was telling them that we were talking at Bible study, too, and Michelle said, have we ever hugged in Elaine? I said, I don't remember, I don't think, and she let me know, nope, you haven't. <laughs> So we sat in my office yesterday and just confirmed she gave her heart to the Lord yesterday. Just, con- just to confirm, yes, we, she said yes to the Lord. We sat and talked for a while. And today I told her we would hug her in. So I'm letting you know so that I don't forget. So that in case it skips, it slips my mind, we will have her come up and we're going to hug Sister Elaine in. Not now. In a minute. Are you just talking? <laughs> Then we have a person who is in China, uh, Geraldine. I'll be meeting with her. She wants to be a part. So God is doing the work. We just make Sapphire just an honorary member. She'll be away, but she'll just be a long distance. (laughs) Put her up on the screen. Hi. (laughs) We might be doing that one day. In your Bibles, if you would turn with me. We don't have it up on the board today. If you would turn to book of Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 7 through 12. I'm going to do more teaching today from here. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 7 through 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, beginning at verse number 7. And I'll be reading from the ESV, and this is how it reads. All the toil of man is for his mouth. Yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite that also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute 
with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? The Lord bless the reading of his word. Today I, I titled this teaching, Some Observations Before Moving On. Some observations before moving on. When you consider verse number 7, one has to consider if life is reduced, or rather is life reduced to work in order to be able to eat? Is is that what life is, is all about? In the context of this, it would seem that in verse number 7, the author Koheleth, the teacher, the preacher, would be saying that we work basically to eat. What we do basically allows us to put into our mouth, but is that all he's saying? But in the context, that is what it appears he would be saying. In the Bible, the word mouth has has at times been used in different ways. And so when we look at scripture, one of the things that becomes very important is that you look at not only the content, but you look at the context. There are some times when the mouth refers to the grave. There are times when it may refer to something else. In this matter, he seems to suggest in regards to what we also put into our mouth. The word mouth also may mean that which we have an appetite for. So when the author here mentions all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. The, 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 the appetite of people is not only referring to that which goes in, but do you not know that once you eat, you will be hungry again? What you take in does not last forever. It goes in And hopefully it goes out. If it stays in too long, you are going to know it. You will have some cramping and some pains. And you will say, I've got to take something. Because I have to get this out. (laughs) But the author is not only talking about the appetite here, but it is When we consider the appetite of people, when we consider the things that we go after, is the toiling ever really satisfied with material things? You you see, we, we hunger and have a mouth for things, but you see also that you can never be satisfied with just that which is material. Food goes in, but... Sooner or later, you're going to be hungry again. And so as the author here draws this section, verses 7 through 12 to a close, he is about to embark upon another topic in another area. 
We have been looking at the vanity of life. We have been looking at everything under the sun. And we come to discover that that word vanity does not basically mean, is not only dealing with moral corruption. That is not always a meaning, but it, but it deals with that which is at times hard to explain or hard to understand. There are some perplexing things in life. There are some things that are fleeting. There are some things that get your attention, but you see, that, that's hard to understand. Toil, toil. What do we work for? What do you work for? Do you work to get money just to go buy things, and before long, the very thing that you bought no longer brings satisfaction until you have to go and get another toy? We constantly look for things to satisfy a craving that can never be fully satisfied. Pretty soon, you'll get one car. Pretty soon, you want another. If you got a lot of money, there's some who got a garage full of expensive cars. They say, oh, I want that other one. Why? Because it's not satisfying. It never produces full satisfaction. When we consider this world in which God made, it is an incredible world. But the world in and of itself does not bring the lasting satisfaction that you may think that it would bring. We never get full. We never get enough. When we think of this world, when we think of the appetite, it is never enough. The grave is never full. It is never satisfied. It is always demanding more. I have come to discover And I'll just give you this again, as I've been saying, that what makes a person full or satisfied is a proper relationship with God. When you see people wandering constantly and looking for things, it will never satisfy. When people tell me that I'm going after a particular item and that's going to bring satisfaction, and I see them years later, and there's not a different look on their face, and they still look just as angry and mad and sad and depressed, I say, well, that didn't work even after all these years. There are some people who made a conscious decision to go after things and leave God out. I'll go, I'll come back to God. And at the end of the rope, it still didn't satisfy. So all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Verse 8, for what advantage has the wise over the fool? That's a question that he asks in verse 8. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? One question rhetorical. And, And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? In verse number 8, these two rhetorical questions relate really back to verses 1 through 7. As you noted a couple of weeks ago when we read verses 1 through 7, this particular question, uh, these questions go back to verses 1 through 7. Solomon has a way of wrapping things around, bringing things back. And there are some statements that seems to stand alone And then he'll bring it up here, and and he ties it together. And then at the end he says, all is vanity. All. What what he said, it's hard 
to understand. And so look at that again in verse number 8. He says, for what advantage has the wise man over the fool? Well, you have to, well, why would he say that? You have to tie in, in the others. Because as he's been saying before, what is life really all about? If the end result is that we die, what is the advantage of the person who is wise have over a person that is not or acts foolish? There's ultimately no satisfaction. One cannot be fully satisfied. One and the other eventually goes to the grave. If you were just to take a picture, you would think, what's the real advantage if we all eventually die? Because you remember last week he said, whether a person has 100 children, or two weeks ago, or is able to live 2,000 years. If he lives 2,000 years and still is not satisfied and then dies at the end of that time, what does he have? And then he said earlier, it is just good to enjoy what God has given There are people trying to enjoy what God has given without God. And they keep coming up empty. It is wonderful to be able to say, God, thank you for this. And it does something to the heart when you can enjoy what God provides and then say, thank you. And the Lord gives you then the ability to enjoy it. He gives some people things, but then he takes the privilege of being able to enjoy it away. So there people stand with a bunch of stuff and no joy. So, what advantage if that's the end, he says. Now, Koheleth, which I reference as the preacher and the teacher, he, he often links things together and he, he, he links Poverty oftentimes and wisdom together. He oftentimes links these matters together. So when you think of a person and he calls a person wise, he often links wisdom with that. This is what it says as we go on. I'm going to read 7 or 8 again. For what advantage has a wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living. When it talks about the person conducting himself, the poor man, it's talking about a person that knows how to get along with others in a communal setting, being able to get along. What does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? If you look at the first part, for what advantage has the wise man over the fool. And what does the poor man, he takes the wise man and poor, and it would be in the reference in part A and part B of that verse linked together, the wise person would be associated or connected with the poor. A person knows how to get along with another. Let me say this. Isn't it fascinating that people that may be poor, some, they can get along with almost anybody, some. What What do I mean? There's an attitude oftentimes of just gratefulness for some. So when, when, when the preacher is talking about those that are poor, he is talking about, and they know how to get along, the person that knows how to conduct himself or herself in such a way that they can get along with others, that's a good thing. But what advantage does he have? So remember, he's drawing the conclusion when you, when you look at, at all the things in life. What is, what is he saying? When you look at all of it and one then comes to the end of the road and 
dive, it would seem that it wouldn't make any difference. But when you look back at what Solomon has said earlier, he says it really is better to be able to have wisdom and to get along and to do that which is right, which is by far the best thing. Because what is he doing? He basically has been looking at and answering the question, what is life all about? And he's taken all of these pieces. But remember, he said, I've tested it all. Come to discover that wisdom is better by far than folly. But the person that may be poor, that person can even get along with others. It's a good thing. Communal living. What does a poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Verse 9, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a Striving after wind. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. Solomon is not talking about necessarily that which we just look at with our eyes. This is not the thing that he is necessarily talking about. But he's talking about things that we look beyond to. Things, for example, that we might work for and strive for and that we actually obtain. All the things that we possess and all the things that we can then look at. So he's not just talking about you. I'm looking at you. I see you. But he's talking about the things that we are able to gather in, the appetite, things that we can see, things that we can hold on to. It was a proverbial saying. So when he talks about this matter here, about better is the sight of the eyes than the wanderings of the appetite, he is basically saying, and then he goes on to say, now, draw this point. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. That once you get everything that you want, the conclusion is that at the end, he ties it back in, those things still do not satisfy. Even after you have obtained it all, once your appetite, you've gotten it all, you brought it all in. He goes back to the previous point. It doesn't fully satisfy. Today when people are striving to find joy and peace, trying to find satisfaction, it is impossible to find these things apart from the Lord. No matter how much one may gather, the things that we gather, the things that might bring pleasure to the eyes, the things that we might desire, It doesn't bring satisfaction. But then he says, all these things, it's still better than a person who just runs after dreams. What should we do? I think that we have to come to a place that when we have things and we have it, we should always respond with a heart of gratitude to God. I think think we always have to remember with whatever we receive that we be, we're, we're very careful that we don't say, is that all there is? But we say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Why? Because appreciation allows you to look at things not only differently, but it allows you to recognize the person or the source from which they come. And so you should always be grateful for the very 
small things as well. So better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering, just the going after of those things. The appetite. That appetite just refers to those things that we dream after here. But the eyes that are able to get those things is we, we can hold on to, we can look at them. That's, that's good than just dreaming and dreaming and not doing anything about it. But remembering that it's from the Lord. There's no value in pursuing just dreams without God. Dreams are good when they're pursued with the Lord. Verse 10. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Verse number 10. Verse 10 begins what is considered a new subsection before Solomon heads over to chapter 7. There has been a recurring theme of vanity and a striving after the wind. This now comes to a close in verses 10 through 12. There's a new subsection that will begin with looking at Adam, or what we consider man. Verses 10 through 12 ends the looking. So what is Solomon doing? He is making some observations, and he now is bringing in this final portion that we're looking at. He's bringing it to a close, and now he's heading into a new Section And then when you look at verse 12, you will note there are questions that are there, and it would seem that he leaves them, but you find that he answers those questions that he raises in chapter 7. So what we have in verses 7 through 12 is some observations, some looking back, but there is a closing out that is occurring. Vanity and a striving after the wind that we so we have dealt in, uh, have delved into and looked at, is coming to a close. Whatever has come to be has already been named. We think of that, we almost automatically go back to the book of Genesis. Whatever has come, we consider where did the animals and people get their names and. It is, it is the fact that the Lord gave Adam the privilege of naming the animals. And it's so incredible that the names that they have seem to match and to be a good fit for them. All of the things. And so when he looks at that, you, you, you probably are thinking that he has to be thinking it back to God's creation. God has made an incredible world with the animals. I don't like meeting certain animals. I don't like meeting certain dogs. I've had kind of a fear of dogs. I normally ask, does that dog bite? And they tell me no. I say, if a dog has teeth, he bites. That's my feeling. The Lord has made, I, I don't like to run into certain things. God has made this incredible world, and Adam has named everything. So the naming of things. Your parents didn't call you, hey, you, they gave you a name. You are defined by your name. When a person says, what's your name? He says, oh, that is such a nice name, or that's an interesting name. Or, but, but, but your name says something about you. 
God knows your name. He knows who you are because he has made you. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is and what and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. This deals with the matter of a legal situation, a matter of we consider a court. And we might even consider that did Solomon have in mind talking about this not being able to dispute the matter of of Job, what happened with him in his book and he questioning God and how we dispute with God. Is this part of what he is thinking? It's possible, but the interpretation should be just left open for various things. And he's dealing with this as he's about to head into this next section that he is going to be going into. And then he talks about the more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? I, I'm going to say this, and, and I hope my wife doesn't get, get bothered. Yesterday we got into a, an argument, and it doesn't happen a lot. And we couldn't seem to come to an agreement in the morning. But it's one of those things, and the more the words came, the more it seemed to go in the wrong direction. <laughs> Have you ever had that happen when the more words and you're trying to explain it, just digging a deeper hole? But I was looking at this and said, man, that time seemed to kind of describe what happened yesterday. And trying to figure it out. And then, and then, you know, when you don't have a good feeling, the day goes on until you get that matter resolved. Or we were able to get it resolved. And we had to laugh about it. But it was like, he said, what happened? <laughs> and then your mind starts going, like, I said this, and then I said that. What did I say? This. When did I say that? And then it went here. This is, then it went there. I wasn't meaning there. It started over here. <laughs> and you're trying to put all these pieces together. Well, maybe if I just said that. Then, but I did say this, but it didn't have the effect that I thought it would have. <laughs> and, and you began to, I said, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But she said this, but I didn't say that. I responded. Maybe I should have thought about it in a different way. <laughs> And the, and the author says, the more the words, the more the vanity. Just, And then at times you just got to stop and go, you know, let's close that out. I'm sorry. And just let it go and says, ha, and there can be like a weight that's lift. We can just end that section. Because when your relationship is such to where that's not a normal part of it, it can make things kind of just, <sighs> but when it's clear, hey, everything is, is okay. When we have a relationship with the Lord to where there is distance and there is not agreement and there is a rift there, it doesn't feel good. When our relationship with the Lord is, is such to where we have a divide, we want to get it right. And so we have to be careful of making more excuses to God when there's a rift and just say, Lord, can we start over? I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Can we have this relationship again realigned, reestablished? And so we have to consider and remember all the various things that Solomon talks about and is dealing with. He's wise and he has wisdom, but he's always now looking from the perspective of 
I bring this to a close from the perspective that it's all about having the right relationship with God. Always, always having the right relationship. For who knows, verse 12, what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. Who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Those questions that Solomon's going to answer in chapter 7 that we'll look at in a couple of weeks. For who knows what is good for man while he lives a few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. Who can tell man what will be after him? One of the very interesting things about Solomon is that after him could refer to things on earth, but Solomon seemed to have this idea about there was something beyond the grave. There was something beyond the grave. I I am fascinated that for people who believe that there is no God or that they don't serve, that when it comes close to having a close encounter with death or something happens, there is a spiritual element that takes place in them. They want prayer. They, they, they began to think differently. There's something that, why? Because God has put eternity into the hearts of man. And, and, and this is vitally important. And, and my, 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 my encouragement for you today is as we turn the corner and begin to look at another section the next time, that I want you to keep in mind and to remember that whatever you enjoy, do it. All for the glory of God and do it with the idea and the purpose that God is to be honored. The fact that when he talks about vanity, we all are leaving this world. But one of the things that we can be assured of is this. For those that know God, they leave this world to enter into a place of rest and paradise so that you can enjoy what's here and the blessings that God, that your mind can't even comprehend forever and ever. He has a, he has a reward for you that, that blows your mind. You, you have no way of really being able to understand what God has for you. <laughs> Who knows what will happen? He was writing from a perspective of really not knowing. But now we know that what happens beyond the grave is that we either go to be with him. Or without, but God has prepared a place for those who know Him. And I want to encourage you today that even though this was just different than the fact of just kind of going through these passages, Solomon is drawing the conclusion that 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 life is heading to the grave. Yes, but but I I, I need you to know this. That to find satisfaction on this side of eternity is to have a right relationship with the Almighty God. Would you stand to your feet, please? Relationships. God has given us to have the, the privilege and the ability to have relationships in church, in the world, with people. And he had the first relationship with his own family, the Godhead. The fact of the matter is that when we have the privilege and the ability to have relationships with people, it allows us to be able to experience what God intended for us to have, and that was to have not only life, but to have happiness and joy and peace with individuals. 
Do you not know that God didn't make us to be isolated and apart from one another? But he made us to be able to have relationships with one another. There are some people that right now that you may have an encounter with one time. You could change their life forever. You may never know it. Never take for granted what God has given you. People, relationships, a relationship first with him and with one another. And the enjoyment to be able to think about and to enjoy what he has given you. And to say thank you. Today, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you for Solomon. For the reality of how he just laid it all out that there were things that were puzzling and hard to look at and things that were, that for him just did not make a lot of sense. He couldn't, he couldn't bring everything into focus. There were things that were fleeting, yet come to realize that, oh, the best thing is to eat, drink, and enjoy life. Because It's the relationship with God that makes the difference. It is to appreciate what God has given. When it all comes around, it's the relationship with God that makes all the difference. Where there's broken relationships, we are praying that God, you you will restore. Where the appetite and the hunger has been after and for things rather than for a relationship with God. Help us to have it in proper perspective. When people are trying to be satisfied by material things and it doesn't happen, may they have a proper understanding that those things are to be enjoyed, but it's to be enjoyed in the context of appreciating and saying thank you to God for giving those things. Today, right now, we are grateful to you. And as we leave this place, Pray that you will keep us and lead us and bless us. Thank you for Mr. Gladys Porter, for Elaine, those recently who have said yes to the Lord. I accept you as my Savior. The relationship that God there is saying that they wanted with you because there's, there's a life that they live in that says, no, I don't have a proper relationship with the Lord. Because God has been so good, I said yes to the will. Yes, I come as a sinner, they said. But it's God's blood that covers. And so now, because of that, in the family of the Almighty God, we're praying that you'll continue to bring people in and draw them to you. And as we hug Sister Elaine in, we want to thank you that over the years you've been drawing her. And now that you've given her the privilege and the ability to respond to the call, we thank you and give you glory.